You all need to quit acting like you like each other. Let's, let's get, get started here. Welcome you to our opening session of our summer series. We're pleased to have Russell Klein with us this evening for the first session. Uh, he gave me some information I can share with you. He says, I'm the greatest preacher. No, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> now, Russell was born in Monterey, California. We let him come anyway. And he was raised in eastern Ohio. Uh, I knew this part. He's a graduate of Memphis School of Preaching, Southwest Graduate School of Biblical Studies, and a bachelor's degree from International College of the Bible. He has been with the Madisonville Church in Madisonville, Kentucky for 28 years years. I think they know when they got a good thing. And he says he was married to Tracy Rose Klein and she passed into eternity on September 30th, 2022. Some of us who go to PTP remember some of that situation and how she uh, had some issues there and it didn't ever really improve. But Russell's still carrying on with the Lord's work and he says our son Kevin is 28 years old and going to get married in October of this year. I know he'll have a good lesson for us. Let's go to Heavenly Father in prayer, and then we'll turn it over to Russell. Father, we're grateful that we can call you our Father. We're grateful to be a part of your family, part of the Central family. I think we'll have Russell here this evening and continue to bless his work in Madisonville. Bless him this evening, and he'll be have a good trip home, safe trip home. Help all of us all the time to try to honor you. Give us where we fail to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Of a hike up here to the pulpit. I uh, didn't really, uh, don't really have that problem where I come from. But we're very glad to have all of you here tonight, and I'm glad to be here with you. I appreciate very much the opportunity to come here and speak, and uh, especially on this topic, uh, where is God when I pray? Uh, this is uh, a sermon that uh, is very near and dear uh, in my heart. Uh, there's an awful lot of personal reflection that went into the preparation for this, and uh, I would like to ask you to have your Bibles open to Mark 15 as uh, we will be beginning in that point in our lesson tonight. Um, I, I bring you greetings from the brethren at the Madisonville Church of Christ. Uh, Brother uh, Fawn said that I've been there for almost 28 years. Uh, indeed, that is true, believe it or not. And uh, I don't really know if they think they have a good thing. I just think they don't want to. They don't want to mess around with uh, changing at this point. You know, a lot of brethren don't like change, and uh, they figure that they they're used to me. They've broken me in, and, and they're just going to keep me around. Uh, that's the way I've always felt about moving away. I've had opportunities to go other places, and I kept thinking to myself, well, what do I want to start over again? another group of people for. I already know these people. And uh, we really appreciate the folks in Madisonville. They've been very good to us through the years. And it's something that, uh, well, it's, it's something that is a very special relationship. Uh, I also want to be sure and uh, thank Brother and Sister Dick for a lovely meal this evening. They hosted me uh, in their home and uh, we, had, uh, we had pie for supper. It was good, very, very good. And I appreciate so much uh, their hospitality and, uh, and y'all's hospitality. I got to meet some of you folks uh, last month when I preached for a couple of evenings in a gospel meeting uh, at the Brookport Church of Christ. Uh, I know I've seen at least one or two of you that I recognize from, from that week, and uh, I'm glad that you still decided to come anyway, even though you heard me uh, once before. But uh, we'll see how this goes. We'll try and make this as uh, informative and educational as we can, and I'll also try to make this uh, something that will be as painless as possible. I'd like to begin, though, by looking at Mark 15, verses 33 through 39. Just like to read that through with you, and then we'll comment uh, a little bit later on. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, El Oi, El Oi, Lamak Sabachthani, which is translated, My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, 
let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And then uh, it says that Jesus cried with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out like this. And, uh, oh, excuse me, uh, saw him that he cried out like this and breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was the son of God. Uh, a lot going on in this text. And what I really want to focus on is Jesus' lament, his expression. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, there's a popular meme. You've probably seen this on, on Facebook or uh, some other kind of social media at one time or another. Um, this is a pretty accurate picture of my own prayer life at times and maybe even an accurate picture of your prayer life at times. Uh, there have been many occasions when I have come before the throne of God in prayer and not quite known exactly what to say. Uh, there have been many times when I have not quite known really what I should pray for. And it gives me a great deal of comfort to know that the Scriptures teach that the Lord hears our prayers, even if we don't quite know what to say. The Lord knows what we have need of. In many cases, He knows even better than we know ourselves. But you know, I also understand that just as there are times when we don't quite know what to say when we pray, there are times maybe when we wonder if our prayers are really getting through to God or if God really even cares. In talking with people about the subject of prayer, I'd have, I'd have some folks say to me, well, you know, surely God has got bigger problems to think about than mine. Surely God has got more important people and more important things to, to be concerned about than, than just my life and, and my problems. We shouldn't make that assumption. The Bible does not tell us that that is how it is with God. The Bible tells us that God knows all of us. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. And the Bible tells us that God cares about every one of us. He cares deeply. We'll look at a passage a little while later that's going to tell us that God worries about us. Just as we worry about things that occupy our minds, bad news, illnesses, losses that we experience. Well, we worry about those things. God, He cares, He worries about us in a very similar fashion. From the cross, Jesus in the expression that we see here in the text indicated that He felt that His Father had forsaken Him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus said this. The Son of God said this. And he meant it. He felt forsaken by his heavenly Father. And of course, you'll hear all kinds of theological explanations for why that, that is true. And I think though sometimes we don't really like to think about it that much or we don't really appreciate that separation that there was between the Father and the Son in that moment when He hung on the cross suspended between heaven and earth. It's a situation unlike any that had ever been in history and really a situation unlike any that has ever been since. So if you're struggling with the subject of prayer tonight, if you're wondering, does God hear my prayer? Does God really care about what's going on in, in my life? Maybe you feel like God has forsaken you. It's not sinful to feel that way. It's not sinful to wonder, where's God when I pray? But I'll tell you what is sinful. When we ignore what the Bible says in answer to that question. I want to try and offer us tonight some reassurance. I want to offer to us tonight 
some of that blessed assurance that we sometimes sing songs about that will help us to understand our relationship with God, how we connect to Him in prayer, and what His attitude is toward all of that. Where's God when I pray? Well, let's start with the obvious. God is in heaven. He abides in heaven. The throne of God is there, and he really has no reason ever to leave it. In Revelation 4, verses 2 and 3, John said, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a, a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. The book of Revelation is full of symbolic uh, language and, and figures of speech and thought. But this one shouldn't be so hard for us to figure out. God's throne is in heaven. He sits upon his throne in heaven because he wields absolute power. He wields absolute authority. And there's really no reason for him ever to leave that throne. There's no reason for him ever to vacate that throne room. In other words, there is never a time when God is not in heaven. There is never a time when God is not on his throne. Sometimes we human beings might tend to think otherwise. Sometimes we might tend to think that, that God well, he must have gone on vacation somewhere. He's not paying attention to the world. Look at how bad things are all over the earth. Where's God? He's in heaven. He's on his throne. Just because there are bad things going on in the world does not mean that God has somehow been dethroned. And it doesn't mean that God has, for whatever reason, stopped caring the prayers that Christians offer to the Lord, come up before his throne. They are described as being like smoke rising from a censer. In this case, a censer is a bowl in which incense is placed. Hot coals will be put on top of what basically amounts to an incense brick, and it would begin to smolder. And of course, the idea behind incense is that it has a sweet and pungent, very strong kind of odor. In this day and age, uh, we use uh, things out of a spray can to try and uh, improve the scent of a room. In the ancient world, incense is what folks would use, except that wasn't the purpose behind the offering of incense at the temple. The offering of incense at the temple was very much a kind of sacrifice that was given to God. And usually, at the time of the offering of burnt incense, Jews would gather outside the temple so they could pray, thinking being that the smoke of the incense would waft up toward heaven and carry their prayers before God. Well, Revelation 5 and verse 8 says, When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Our prayers are to God. I hate to use this term, but I can't think of a better one. Like air freshener is to us. They are a sweet-smelling savor. God loves prayer. He loves to hear from his children. You know, the idea of our relationship with God being a lot like our relationship with our parents is something that should not be lost on any of us. God is our Father. We are his children. As such, our Father wants us to obey him. Isn't that the lesson that every parent tries to teach to their children throughout their whole life? If you'll just listen to me and do what I say, 
all will be well. If you do not, all will not be well. It's a very simple lesson. And that's the same lesson that God wants each of us to learn. If we will listen to God and do as he says, then all will be well. Otherwise, well, there are some things that we may have to reckon with. But another part of that relationship involves the idea of communication. When I was talking to brother and sister Dick, we were talking about when my son, Kevin, uh, started college. He went to Western Kentucky University, and he couldn't wait to go. He couldn't wait to get out of mom and dad's house, out from under our roof, out from under my domineering, no, I wasn't that kind of dad, but still, it, it almost seemed like he thought that I was. He couldn't wait to leave. And when he left and it was out on his own, he didn't come home. He wasn't like other college kids that would come home and have their laundry done or come home to get some of mom's cooking. He just didn't come home. And sometimes he wouldn't call for days at a time. My wife had a lot of trouble dealing with that. He was very depressed for a couple of weeks there. And finally, we had to impress upon our son the importance of calling home. Say, but I don't have any news. I don't have anything to tell you. That doesn't matter. Your mom wants to hear your voice. Your nana wants to know that you're okay. And your dad wants to know, how's the car doing? Isn't that what dads are usually interested in? Anyway, we finally were able to get through to our son that you need to call home because we want to hear from you. And that's part of the reason why we need to pray. Not just once a day or twice a day, but as many times as we can in the course of a day. What's the Bible say in 1 Thessalonians 5? Pray without ceasing. The idea is that there is no cap, there is no limit on the number of prayers that we can offer to God in the course of a day. Think about the false religions of the world for a minute. Think about the religion of Islam. One of the pillars of that religion is that Muslims are required to pray to Allah five times a day. Well, we're not part of a false religion. We are the Lord's church. We are God's people right here on the earth. So I think five would be a good place for us to start. And then maybe we ought to see how much more we can add to that. I remember once there was a brother uh, at the church in Madisonville. I, I had baptized him only a few weeks before. He asked me to come over to his house. He wanted to talk with me for a little bit. And he said, I hope this doesn't seem weird but I wonder if you would listen to me pray. Because he wasn't sure if he was doing it right or not. That's the first and so far the only time that any Christian has ever asked me to evaluate their prayers. And I thought that was, was great. That was wonderful. Here's somebody who is taking his prayers so seriously, he wants to make sure that he's doing it the way that the Bible teaches him to do. A lot of folks don't give it much thought at all, if they give it any. A lot of folks might pray to the Lord before every meal. You have three squares a day, that's three times. You work in a couple more and you're as good as a Muslim, but it really should be a lot more often than that. But doesn't God already know what I need before I ask him? Yes, he does. But you know what? He still wants to hear from you. He's your father. You are his child. Not only that, though, God, where is he when I pray? He's in heaven. And I also have to consider the fact that God hears all prayers. All prayers that are offered to him. But isn't it true, you might say, that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners? John 9.31 does say, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Well, I think that what we're getting confused about there 
is how we interpret the word hearing. The idea is that God can hear every prayer that goes up to, goes up to him. But not every prayer is actionable, if you want to think of it that way. In, uh, well, in the Bible, we have this idea of the omniscience of God. You know, God is said to be many things with the, with the little prefix omni on the front. He's omnipotent. That means that he's all powerful. He's omnipresent. That means that he is everywhere at all times. And the fact that God is omniscient means that he is fully aware of everything at all times. There's nothing that escapes his attention. Didn't Jesus say that there's not a sparrow that falls that God is not aware of? So, of course, God hears the prayers that are, that are sent his way. Isaiah gives us some perspective on this, though, in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, where he wrote, Behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, that he will not hear. See, sin creates separation between us and God, so that while he might be aware of our needs, and while he might hear our prayers, he will not bless us. God will bless his faithful children. God will hearken to their prayers. But as long as I remain outside of the Lord's family, as long as I remain away from my heavenly Father, then he's not going to bless me. And I shouldn't expect any blessings to be coming my way from him. In order to benefit from prayer, we have to be forgiven for our sins. That's why whenever I pray to God, whenever I pray to God, one of the first things I pray is God forgive me for my sin. Have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. God, shed your grace upon me. Cleanse my soul in the blood of thy son, Jesus Christ, for it is my only hope of eternal salvation. As we're reminded in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about what that is saying about God. It says he is faithful. What that means is that God keeps his promises he has promised that he will reward the righteous and punish the wicked. He's not going to go back on that. He has promised that if I will confess my sins, if I will own up to the sins that I have committed and ask him for his forgiveness, that he will give it to me. He has promised this, and he's not going to go back on it. Frankly, I don't understand some of those, my brethren, who worry about whether or not they've been good enough to get to heaven. I remember talking with somebody who was in the winter of life, coming up on the end, and one of the things they kept saying again and again is, I just don't know if I've done enough. I just don't know if I've been good enough. Let me tell you something. None of us could ever do enough to go to heaven. None of us could ever be good enough to go to heaven. Jesus once said to his disciples, and when ye have done all, say, we are unprofitable servants, for we have done that which it was our duty to do. You could never do enough good so that you could be in a position where you could stand before God and say, I deserve to go to heaven. You have to let me in. No. The only way we go to heaven is by the grace of God. The only way we go to heaven is by the forgiveness of our sins through the power of the blood of Christ. That's part of God's faithfulness. This also says that God is just. And the idea of, of God being just is the idea 
of his justice, his fairness. God plays by his own rules. He doesn't change the rules in the middle of the game. He doesn't make a special exemption for one person and not another. God's not going to judge me by a different set of standards than he's going to judge you. He's going to judge all of us by the same set of standards that are revealed in his word. And I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's great. I am, I am very reassured by the idea that God is faithful and that God is just. Therefore, I know that God will forgive me for my sins. As we think, though, about where is God when I pray, I want you to think also about this. God cares about us. God wants us to pray to Him about our problems because He loves us. In 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. This is that verse I was alluding to in the beginning of the discussion tonight. The word care in our English Bibles translates a Greek word that can be understood to refer to many different things, one of which is anxiety. Anxiety. Like, uh, like someone who has a phobia, an unreasonable fear of something. I've got, I don't know what that was, that humming noise suddenly went away. Now I feel like, uh, now I feel like all is quiet. Anyway, uh, I've got phobias. Uh, one phobia, in fact, if you want to hear me scream like a little girl, just get me near a hornet or some other stinging insect. I can't stand to be in the same zip code as one of those things. If I hear one buzzing around me, I will run away. Uh, that's how I feel about it. Well, the idea, of course, is that fear is a powerful thing. Fear sometimes drives us in our motivations in life. And while the Bible does teach that we ought to fear God and keep His commandments, the Bible also teaches that fear should not be our primary motivation. We should obey the gospel because we're afraid to die in our sins, and we should also obey the gospel because we love God and we want to serve Him. And we know that, that this is our only hope. It's not just about fear. It's about hope things that make us afraid, the things that terrify us, the things that keep us awake at night, those are the kinds of things that God wants us to tell him about. He wants us to go to him in prayer and cast our care, our anxiety, our worry, our fear upon him. And for, for people, for different people, it involves different things. For a young person, there might be some anxiety about, uh, about school, about a test that you've got coming up, about something that's coming up in your life that's going to be a crucial determining factor for the rest of your life. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a person that's a little bit older and they're contemplating a, uh, a change of, of employment or, 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 or they're worried about, uh, about other things. I tell you what, I got a letter the other day in the mail, return address on it said, IRS. You don't like to see those. No, sir. Turns out I didn't send them enough information when I mailed in my uh, 1040, and so I've got to come up with two other forms that I've never heard of and send them off. So then they will be able to calculate how much I owe in taxes. The idea, though, is that, you know, these are things that are common. They, they do keep us awake at night. And the older you get, you still have worries. You still have fears. You still have problems. They might be different from when you were younger, but they're always there. How do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? You give it to God. Go to the Lord in prayer and you talk to him 
about what you're afraid of and what you're worried about. You do that every night before you go to bed, and I guarantee you'll sleep better. <laughs> Amen? Amen. The idea is because God cares for you. What would God ever worry about? He worries about you. Well, not just you. He worries about everybody. He worries about all of us. It matters to Him whether we are saved or lost. It matters to Him whether we choose to do right or wrong. It matters to God. Not just all of us together, but each of us individually. He loves us that much. And I think sometimes we fail to realize that. God wants only what is best for all of us, both individually and collectively. Remember, I, I talked about our relationship with God being like our relationship with our parents. When you're a teenager, you feel like your parents are just constantly trying to ruin your life. They're trying to stop you from having fun. They're trying to interfere and, and meddle with things that should be your private business. I remember feeling that way. It wasn't that long ago. Well, actually it was. But uh, <clears throat> I can still remember feeling that way as a young person. But you know what? I did eventually come to realize, and I'm so glad that I realized this sooner than most people. I eventually realized that my mom and dad weren't trying to ruin my life. They weren't trying to keep me from having fun. You know what they were trying to keep me from? They were trying to keep me from getting hurt. They were trying to keep me from doing something to mess up my life so badly that I might not ever be able to recover from it. Incidentally, that's what keeps your parents awake at night. That's what they worry about. They worry about you. They worry about what decisions you're going to make, what direction you're going to go in life. Believe me. And as kids get older, the problems just get more complicated. I have a 28-year-old son. Still worry about him. I know he worries about me, too. You know, last week, uh, last Friday, I, uh, I fell in my house. I was uh, hanging a picture, and uh, I, was, I was on linoleum floor, and I was wearing my Chuck Taylors, my uh, uh, Converse All-Stars. Some of you old folks might remember wearing those when you were a teenager. Well, I guess I'm going through my second childhood. I got myself a pair of those. And they're a little slippery on that surface. I hung up that picture. It's good. I turned. This leg went that way. This leg went that way. And I collapsed in a heap right there in the middle of it. I did something to my left knee. It still hurts. I think it's just a sprain, though. I called the doctor. He said he wouldn't take my insurance. So I've just been treating it myself. And it is getting better. But uh, I thought, well, there I am. My first fall as a senior citizen right there in my home. And, and I did yell, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. But there was no one there to hear it except for my, my dogs. And they weren't any help at all. They were just worried about who was going to feed them now that, uh, that, that I was down. But, you know, the idea is that, that sometimes we... We, we, we fall, sometimes we, 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 we make mistakes, and, and there's always anxiety about that. But you know what? God wants what's best for all of us. In Matthew 7, 7 through 12, Jesus said in part, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Your parents just want what's best for you. They just want what's good for you. They want to protect you. They want to keep you from harm. They want to keep you from life-altering things. And it's better if you cooperate with them. The sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. And you know what? Your Heavenly Father wants the same thing for you. 
And the sooner you realize that you're better off just cooperating with Him, the better you will be. The better your life will be on earth, and the better your eternal reward will be. Now, God hears all prayer. God cares about all of us. And God answers every prayer that comes from His faithful children. It's just that the answer is not always what we think it ought to be. You know, I pray to the Lord and I ask the Lord for help. I ask the Lord for this or for that. I just kind of expect that God's going to say yes to whatever I ask Him. I mean, why not? Aren't I His favorite? No, God doesn't have favorites. There is no respect of persons with the Almighty. But to some prayers, God says yes. But they have to meet certain conditions. It has to be in harmony with His will. If I pray for something that is not in harmony with God's will, then I should not expect God to say yes. If, for example, I pray that God will cause a flower pot to fall on the head of my worst enemy, that's not His will. I shouldn't be praying for someone else's hurt. What kind of a person would do that? There are people who it also has to be something that's good for me. If I pray to the Lord for something and I want God to say yes, then it needs to be what is best for me. It might be that it's not what's best for me. If I pray to the Lord, well, you know that minivan of mine's getting old and I don't know how much longer it's got. Lord, please, please send me a Cadillac. It may not be God's will that I should have a Cadillac. Might not be the best thing for me. I can remember when I was 16 years old, I had saved uh, uh, $2,000. That's in 1986 money. That, that's, that's when $2,000 was $2,000. And I was going to buy myself my first car. I just turned 16, got my driver's license. Oh, man, I, I, had, I had the fever. And I, I got into the local merchantette which is kind of like what we had before the internet, where people put ads in for things that they want to sell. They'd list their phone numbers. You'd actually have to call them and talk to them. You couldn't text them or anything like that. Anyway, there was an ad in the Merchantette for a guy that was selling uh, a late 1970s model Camaro. Oh, Camaro, yes. I, I met him. Had a test drive. Started that car up. Boom! Oh, yeah. But it, it had an automatic transmission because I was millennial before millennial was a thing. I can't drive a stick. Never could. Not interested in learning. And, uh, but it, it had an automatic transmission. I put it in drive. I took my foot off the brake and it went. I didn't even have to touch the gas. That's how powerful that car was. And you know what my stepfather did? He said, I don't know, Russell. This car is going to eat a lot of gas. And a lot of oil. And if you got to replace the tires on this thing, they're going to cost you, oh, 100 bucks easy. That, that $1986 again. And uh, he talked me out of buying it. He talked me out of buying it. And I saved my money. And he probably saved my life. Looking back on it, a 16-year-old with a big, powerful engine like that? No, sir, you, I didn't need that. Heavenly Father looks out for us the same way. He wants what's best for us. And that's not usually what we think it's supposed to be. And then the third thing, there, there should be consistency in our prayers. It's okay to ask God again and again and again. In fact, the Savior even taught his disciples that. In uh, John 16, 23, he said, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. But again, it has to meet these criteria. Or it's not just going to be an automatic yes to everything. I mean, what if that was how, the, how God answered prayer? Just by saying yes to everybody. Uh, this world would be in chaos if that was the case. 
Because sometimes people are praying for things that are mutually exclusive of one another. But the other thing we have to understand is that sometimes God says no. What do you mean God says no? Why would God say no? Yes, God says no. God will say no to your prayer if it is not in harmony with His will. Like I said before, if I'm praying for, for something bad to happen to somebody that's my enemy, no, that, that's not in harmony with God's will. It also might not be what's good for us. Also, when we pray to God, we might be asking Him to break His own rules. Most of you know uh, about my wife. She passed away on the 30th of September last year. She fell at PTP and broke her leg. She had been on kidney dialysis for over a year. She had suffered with a plethora of health problems. She went into the hospital in Knoxville and was there for 42 days. And for 42 days, I prayed for her to get better. And it would be so easy for me to say, where was God when I needed him? But I know better. God is in heaven. He never abandons his post. God cares about every one of us. He hears our prayers. And he may not say yes. He might say no. What I was praying for would have been against the laws of nature. It would have been against the principles by which this world operates. Because the truth is, we don't live forever. We can't. We might want to stay here forever, but we can't. And we might want people that we love who are ill to get better, but sometimes it's just not possible. We have to be willing to accept that. And we have to understand that God will hold our hand every step of the way. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10, the Apostle Paul wrote in part, Concerning this thing, he's talking about a thorn in the flesh, a physical ailment that he had. We don't know exactly what it was. But he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. The idea was that even though Paul wanted to be free of this, this issue that he had, it just wasn't according to God's will. He prayed to the Lord three times, begged him. The Lord said, no. No, you have my grace. You have heaven to look forward to. That should be enough. Really, it should be enough. What's better than heaven? Well, what's greater than that? Nothing. So it is the case that when I pray to God, I have to understand that sometimes He's going to say yes. Sometimes He's going to say no. Sometimes He might say, not right now. And that's tough. But yeah, the time may not yet be right. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Time might not be right for you to have that yet. And maybe we're not ready for it ourselves. Maybe it's not best for us. But it's okay for us to persist in the asking. In the parable of the importunate widow, that ultimately was the lesson. This widow persisted time and time again, making the same request of a king. Finally, he granted her that request. 
And the teaching there directly correlates with prayer. The idea being that I need to keep praying and not give up. I need to keep going and not let anything deter me. This um, is pretty much where the lesson ends. And I think my time is gone. Uh, quarter till. So I guess it must be. So I'm going to stop now. And I thank you all for listening. And I'll be back up here in just a minute to extend the invitation of Christ. Uh, sorry, when you're a preacher in a strange church, it's almost like being in a foreign country. Uh, you don't know all the customs. You don't really know quite uh, how things are normally done. Uh, can I get that back on there? I, I, there's a couple more things on the PowerPoint that I wanted to bring out, and hopefully it's where I left off a minute ago. Well, we'll see. If not, I can probably most of it. Anyway, oh, here we go. Where is God when I pray? Uh, in closing, there are some things that need to be emphasized here. Uh, Christians are commanded to pray all the time. Like we said before, it doesn't matter how many times a day you feel like you need to go to God in prayer. Don't ever think that God's going to get tired of hearing from you. Don't, don't ever think that God is going to haunt him again. What's he whining about today? God is never going to take that attitude. We might treat each other like that, but God... God never treats us like that. And as we said in the beginning, even when you don't quite know what to say, and believe me, there have been many times in my life when I have not known what to say. The Bible says in Romans 8.26 that the Holy Spirit helpeth our infirmities because we know not how to pray as we ought. Sometimes, yeah, you, you know you need to pray. You know you need to ask the Lord for help. Sometimes all you can say is, Lord, help me. And that's a pretty good prayer just all by itself. Even when it looks like the answer is going to be no, pray anyway. Uh, when things started looking the darkest for my wife, I continued to pray that she would get better. And there's a big reason why that's the case. It's because of a man named Don Kirkwood. Don Kirkwood was a member of the Madisonville Church of Christ back when I first came there in 1995. He was uh, an elderly gentleman who had lost his eyesight when he was in his 50s, I think, or something like that. And uh, he was totally blind and depended on his adult son to take care of him. But he always had a smile on his face. He always had a wonderful attitude. And he had a lot of health problems, a laundry list of health problems. And there were at least three times that I went and visited Don in the hospital. And as I was leaving, I thought to myself, well, this is it. This is going to be the last time I see him on this side of eternity. And then within 24 hours, he would have rallied, made a recovery, and been dismissed. Gone home. I learned from Don. Don't ever give up. You don't stop praying for someone to get well no matter how bad it looks. And even if it seems like God's not paying much attention to you, pray anyway. When you're in doubt, when you're not really sure what the answer is going to be, when you're not really sure if God is even there, keep praying. Don't let anything dissuade you from doing that because when you stop praying, that's when you start pulling away from God. It's like a kid at college that doesn't call home starts pulling away from mom and dad. Nothing good will come from that. I can guarantee you, nothing good will come from that. Faithful Christians understand that prayer is a powerful tool. We are to pray, and we should expect great things when we pray. We should understand that God is there, God hears us, God wants what's best for us. He is going to give that to us. We just need to keep praying and not let our faith diminish. But you know, to avail yourself of the power of prayer, you have to be a Christian. You have to be forgiven for your sins. So as the Bible says in Romans 10, 
And verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please him. Acts 17, verses 30 and 31 tells us how God commands all men everywhere to repent. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us about the need for us to confess with the mouth Jesus as Lord, and that will bring us unto salvation. And then Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Having heard the word of God and believing it, repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Christ and be immersed in water for the remission of your past sins. The water is ready and we are ready to help you. If that's what you need to do this evening, don't delay. Don't wait another minute. And then once you become a Christian, you can begin to avail yourself of the power, the power that can be found in prayers that we offer to God. But just as it's important for us to be Christians, it's important for us to be faithful Christians. And as we read earlier in 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we will confess, if we will own up to our sins, because we're never going to deal with our sins as long as we pretend like we don't have it. As long as we pretend like all that baggage over there doesn't belong to us, well, then we're never going to deal with it and we're never going to be forgiven. I remember talking to a brother once about his need to go forward and repent. And the sin that he had committed was very serious. And he was just so embarrassed. He didn't want people to know. And I said, people already know. You might as well go ahead and deal with it. And that's true. We might think that we're really good at hiding what's wrong with our lives from everybody else. But there are people who know. And I'll guarantee you this absolutely. God knows. You can't hide anything from Him. He already knows about your sin. So why not confess it? Why not ask God to forgive And then you can move forward in your life and not be held back by this weight of sin which doth so easily beset us. If you have need to obey the gospel, if you have need to be restored to the Lord's church, we stand ready to help. We simply ask that you come to the front and let us know how we can help you. Come as we stand and sing to encourage.